All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, champs are here. That's right. We are officially in the finals, so it's time to crown a champion. Will it be Suns? Will it be Bucks? Got some thoughts, previews, and want to wrap up things with the Hawks. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. All right, Bucks fans, you're right now you're feeling kind of sad. You're down 0-2 to the Suns, but I'm going to here to cheer you up. Uncle P's got some words for you. So while it's true that only four times in NBA history have the finals champion come back from being down 0-2, in 69 when the Celtics did it, 77 when the Blazers did it, 2006 with Miami, and most recently in 2016 with LeBron and the Cavs, in the infamous chase down block game has a team come back from being down 0-2 in the finals to go ahead and take that most coveted Larry O'Brien trophy. Now, Bucks fans, I know what you're saying. We lost the first game by 13. We lost the second game by 10. We're trending in the right direction, but P, how do I get there? Well, I'm going to tell you. Honestly, the first game in Bucks playoffs series always seems to go the way of the other team look back at the record i think only two times in the history of coach bud's tenure with the bucks have they won a game one so you're bound to lose that one you're always starting these down one game anyway and end up having to win you know four out of the next six that being said i thought the play from the bucks role players was outstanding in game one but ultimately Giannis was playing gingerly after the first quarter due to what was going on with his knee now i'm not trying to make this one of those oh if Giannis was fully healthy the series would be completely different because that would discredit what's going on with the phoenix suns who are playing outstanding with their dual race for the finals mvp which we'll get in a second but for the bucks the role players had stepped up made the game interesting made it close as hell in the third quarter but ultimately the suns pulled away now game two the flip, the script was flipped. I almost said the flip was script, but the script was flipped in that Giannis had one of the best games I've seen in a finals game since probably LeBron in that 2017 J.R. Smith game. Like, honestly, like from a singular performance, Giannis just went off and he did it all over the place. Blocks, uh, rebounds, post-ups, you know. Yeah, he missed a few free throws, and the chanting thing is starting to get really, really annoying. And honestly, every single panning of the Phoenix fans, the fans looked absolutely zonked. So shout out to them for going hard. But that being said, Giannis played the game of his life. I think he had 42 points, 12 boards, 5 assists. Like, Mans was on a mission trying to hype up his team, trying to get his team to get there. But unfortunately, it came down to the fact that Drew Holiday missed a lot of easy layups. Chris Middleton really couldn't get a shot. And ultimately, the Suns were able to take advantage yet again. Now, I'm not all that concerned given that the Suns had the home court advantage. You know, they're on their way to Milwaukee right now. There's going to be an extra day of rest before they have to play again. And the Bucks, I think, are starting to figure things out on how to maximize how they play this Suns team. Now, I still think the Suns are going to pull this out because 
you know, I have the betting slip that says that that's the best idea. But also, you know, from a, a player personnel standpoint, the Suns are just matched up better. From a guards, the guards are better than the the box guards for sure and Devin Booker and Chris Paul over Middleton and Drew Holiday. And, you know, Giannis definitely beats out Aiton, but other than that, the bigs are outmatched by what the Suns have at the three and four position. Giannis doesn't really play the five. They've tried that lineup, and it's worked to some success. But ultimately, you know, when the Bucks go big, they're more competitive, and, and Giannis has to stay on the floor for them to really do some things. Now, I think the one thing that could be the Achilles heel to this Suns championship run is that every game they seem to go down a player. First game, it was Dario Sars. Second game, it was Torrey Craig. And while, you know, I'm not saying that they're losing a Devin Booker or they're losing Chris Paul or they're losing DeAndre Ayton or Monty Williams is having back spasms and can no, no longer coach, but I am saying that all those role players matter when you get to this stage. Like, think about you know, different championship runs, right? Let's go back to last year with the Lakers, right? They needed those games where Rondo went off to, you know, solidify the 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 defeat of the Miami Heat. Go back to the year before. Remember Fred Van Vliet having the absolute game of his life in games five and game six to help put the Warriors away for the Raptors? Sean Livingston, Andre Godala on the Warriors, right? Like every single person matters when it comes to a championship contention, especially at this point in the finals, right? You need that extra player because your great players are going to play great. That's why you're here, right? You're going to get the crazy game from Giannis. You're going to get the crazy game from Devin Booker where he looks like he absolutely can't miss wet like I'm book, right? You're going to get those games. That's why you're in the finals, but it's the role players that are ultimately going to make the difference, right? And I don't even got to look at the box score to tell you that, right? I can just look and see how the Camp, Camp Johnson confidence, the corners that he plays, Camp, uh, campaign standing up, Michael Mikhail Bridges standing up, I almost called him Michael, Mikhail Bridges stepping up, right? Like all those players on the Sun matter, including Tory Craig, right? Dario Sarge, I think he was in for like three minutes before he got injured. But, you know, he has the ability to let Aiton rest if he's able to play on the floor. And for the Bucks, I mean, they don't have those type of role players behind Giannis to really, you know, solidify what's going on. Now, I say that when that game, those last that last game against the Hawks, it was a beatdown by committee. Games five and game six where, you know, Robin Lopez went for 20 points. Chris Middleton went for 20 points. Drew Holiday went for 20 points. Like, the ball got spread around. Pat Connaughton was knocking down shots, right? The defense, everybody was stepping up on, on the defensive end to keep the Hawks in place, and that's what got them here. But ultimately, if that's not going to keep them here, then the Bucks, you know, unfortunately are just going to have to wait another 50 years to get to the finals. Now, hopefully, you know, for Giannis' sake, I, don't, I hope it's not that long. But, you know, there's a reason that these is a repeating theme. It's a repeating theme year after year, right? You remember these players that step up in a big way 
when it matters to go ahead and put this team where it needs to be, right? Which is in the championship contention and, and ultimately bringing home the Larry O'Brien. And the Bucks just aren't there. The Bucks aren't. I'm sorry, right? Can they make it competitive? I think, you know, in a game three must-win situation at home, Deer District going crazy, right? Giannis rallying up the troops. Role players are playing better because they're at home and they got the crowd on the side. They maybe have the benefit of the whistle being at home as well. And, you know, the Suns on their end, you know, having to be on the road, their role players aren't playing as well. Yeah, probably the Bucks steal one, right? Or not steal one, they just take care of home court. Then we're sitting at 2-1. But ultimately, I think the, the, the Suns are better equipped, deeper, all around just better rated at every every slot, basically, except for Giannis and, and the slot that he takes at the 4 pseudo 5 but this Suns team is just much, much better and in a much better position to go ahead and put the Bucks away. Now, something magical could happen, right? Any anything can happen, and I'm not ruling it out. The Bucks could very well turn this around and you know win the next four to five, and we're sitting here in a week and a half's time after you know Game Seven where the Bucks win. And I could be wrong, but it's just so much to do. So much has to go right for the Bucks, and so much has to go wrong for the Suns for them to do it. And on the other side, the Suns have been incredible, right? DeAndre Ayton had a 2020, which I've, I have, I don't know when's the last time I've seen a 2020 in a finals game. In a finals game, right? There's probably one this season that, you know, if we go back and look through all the stats and records and all that stuff, somebody's had to have one this year. And, you know, in, in subsequent years, or maybe somebody had one in a playoff game or something, and I'm just overlooking it. But in recent memory, I, I haven't seen a 2020. And he had a 2019 because Chris Paul stole his last rebound, but whatever, it doesn't matter. He's patting his stats. Chris Paul is, is playing his style of game where he's basically hunting his shot. Devin Booker has basically absorbed all of Chris Paul's different tendencies and skills and the fact that he can get the mid-range up but attack the basket spot up from three like Devin Booker is as complete of a player as Chris Paul though he's 12 years his minor and uh it's just that three-headed monster is great and then you have everybody else stepping up I mean Jay Crowder went 0 for 8 in game one, had some great defensive plays, and then turns around and splashes three threes in the first half of game two and steps up in a big way. Again, role players stepping up in a big way. But the Suns are just just out here getting it, for lack of a better word, right? They're just doing it. They're doing it in a way that the Bucks can't replicate. You can't trade twos for threes. The Bucks. I said this before when they were playing, you know, I, I believe it was the Hawks when they were down three with 30 seconds left. Who are you going to give the ball to to splash a three? Nobody. The Bucks don't have it, but the Suns do, right? Cam Johnson in the corner. Oh, damn, he's about to hit that, you know? Sorry. The Suns are just better, right? This is one of those where the Suns are better. Flat out. But I think this is, in at least recent years, the most even from a finals MVP race that I've seen in a long time, in a long time, right? Like if you look at Chris Paul's numbers, I think game one, he had like 32 points, like five or eight uh, 
rebounds and then like some a similar amount of assists and, and Devin Booker had somewhere in the 20s from a point standpoint you know similar rebounds similar assists then you flip to game two and it's like their stats flip-flopped right so the two basically have identical stats I think combined they both have somewhere in the range of 50 points they both have somewhere in the range of you know 10 to 13 rebounds somewhere in the range of similar assist numbers it's all the same so who do you give the MVP award because I think on the defensive end Devin Booker pick us up the more difficult assignments but from a narrative standpoint Chris Paul would just get it just from his his basically service that he's put in so far and that's what's kind of fucked up that's what sucks about the finals MVP award is that it's based not really objectively but subjectively a lot of the times right like if we look back through the years at who's won finals MVP. Like last year, LeBron got it. Likely should have been AD, right? He was really the difference makers when he went in and out. And looking at the year before that, if memory serves me right, Kawhi Leonard won that. He no doubt should have won that. He he put the team on the back, you know, throughout the playoffs and, and was basically the Terminator out there. The years before that, you could argue that, you know, Steph Curry was likely a better MVP candidate, but it went to Kevin Durant just from the absolute barn burner of an offensive performance that he put on, and Steph Curry was willing to take the back seat. But you go beyond that, I believe LeBron won the year before when likely it should have been Kyrie or it was very, very close, but LeBron had the chase down block. Andre Iguodala one in 2015 when far and away Steph should have won that far and away you know and before that I have to go back and watch more finals to actually figure out you know who really should have won it and I think before that it's it's a lot more you know split up and and even and should have went to who who it went to but like you remember back when the Spurs played and won their last championship in the 2000s and Tony Parker got the finals MVP and Tim Duncan was getting you, you know, 20 and 10 and doing everything on the defensive end and was snubbed, but you know, whatever, right? Like Chris Paul win a finals MVP. He'll finally get his ring and, you know, he'll solidify his title as point God, one of hall of famer point guard, probably one of the best to ever do it. And I'm excited for that, you know, and I'm excited for the, the fan base that is Phoenix to have a champion because I, I, they haven't been there in 28 years, and I don't think they ever won one before that. And I'm excited for the Bucks, who haven't been here since, you know, the 70s with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And, you know, even if they had, if even if the series was at 1-1, I would say that I'm, I would be excited for the Bucks to win. I think that, you know, after the Warriors and LeBron fatigue that we've went through and the Kobe Bryant fatigue that we went through before that, you know, in the last, I'd say like 20 years, there's probably only like one championship that you would argue that most fans are, you know, not ecstatic about the outcome and not necessarily indifferent, but, you know, can appreciate both sides. Like the last one I can think of is probably, I mean, every year it's compelling a little bit, but like the last one I can really think of is Mavs Heat, right? Like LeBron takes his talents to South Beach. Everybody's really, really mad. Then they go to the finals, but LeBron has his chance 
to win his first championship. Chris Bross has his chance to win his first champion. And then on the other side, you have Dirk Nowitzki with his opportunity to win his first championship with the Mavs and, the, and you know, the Mavs winning their first championship as a franchise. And that was exciting. I think, you know, a lot of people still had some residual hate for LeBron. And, but, you know, it, it was either side. It was like a full like journey of finally, finally getting this team a championship. And I didn't even think about this to the other day, but during the two thousands, you don't really have anything like that. I mean, the Spurs won in 1999 with, you know, Tim Duncan and a rookie Ginobili. So when they won in 2003, five and seven, like everybody had just recently seen them win a championship and they had been a contender the entire time. You have the Lakers championships, which are, you know, the first one without magic was cool. But then after that, it's like back to back to back. Then they go to another championship, right? Like, I I think this gets forgotten a lot of times. But between 2000 and 2010, Kobe Bryant was in seven NBA finals, right? 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. Then they make it finally back in 2008 and lose to the Celtics. Then they make it in 2009 and 2010 and win. That's seven out of 10, right? And then it's it's like, here's the torch. LeBron's in it at 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, misses 19, and is back for 20. So like in back-to-back decades, we basically had, you know, one side that was basically solidified for seven out of 10 years, and then nine out of 10 years. And except for maybe the first of those years, people are either like all for one side or, you know, all, all for the other, right? All Eastern Conference or all West, right? Like when the Pistons made it, they were like all excited for them to, to finally dethrone the Lakers when they won in, in 2004, right? Yeah, 2004. And then, you know, for... The Heat, that was cool for them to win in 2006. That was cool. But ultimately, you know, who cares, <laughs> right? Because they played the Spurs again, right? So it wasn't even on both sides. 2011, like I mentioned, you had it pretty even. You had all the LeBron stands kind of want to see them win. And then, you know, the Mavs fans want to see their team get their first championship. And then after that, you just get LeBron, 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 LeBron. Oh, here come the Warriors. That'd be cool if they win. But who are they playing? LeBron, right? Fast forward, then it's like Warriors, 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 like four out of five years or whatever. And, um, no, five years in a row having won three championships and freaking they run into the Raptors where it's cool. They haven't won one in 25 years since they've been an organization, but they're facing the Warriors and everybody's fatigued on them. Next year, you know, Heat Lakers comes back. We've seen the Heat been dominant over the last 15 years. The Lakers and guess who? LeBron are back yet again. And so it really hasn't been for 10 years and then only once in the past 20 years where both sides fans can appreciate the journey that it's that it's taken to get here both teams feature like a drafted superstar that's kind of come up um you know well put together teams you know coaches that aren't just you know ex-players getting basically the reins of a fully built system um and the fans can appreciate that i can appreciate that i hope you can appreciate that as well so 
when you're watching this finals, whether it's completely side one-sided, Suns and four, whatever, you just got to sit back and appreciate how rare it is to have a finals like this. And as I argue this, you know, you, you might consider that it's, you know, quote unquote, boring for this reason, because you would have liked to see the dominance of a Kobe, a LeBron, a Spurs, a Warriors team, like continue, you know, and, and as a Warriors fan, so would have I, but it's nice to get these kind of breaks. It's exciting. It's refreshing. It brings some extra people in that may not have been interested otherwise, and have been fatigued otherwise and that's great to watch it's great for the sport and um you know i'm excited to continue through i hope we get five more games but likely it'll be two maybe three four at the best but uh yeah it's just exciting let's take a quick break and i want to come back and talk about the hawks real quick okay so Similar to how I felt about the Clippers last week, I thought the Hawks far and away exceeded expectations. They were the underdog in every series that they played. You know, round one, it was, you know, I considered it a toss-up between would the Knicks' defense, you know, survive or would the Hawks' offense, and the Hawks ultimately made it through. A lot of people had penciled in the Sixers to go ahead and beat the Hawks. That didn't happen. They persevered, overcame multiple deficits, and ultimately dominated in a game seven to move on. And then against this Bucks team, I mean, they put up one hell of a fight. And ultimately, the sword of injury reared its fucking ugly head and unsheathed itself to take down Trey, even though it also took down Giannis. Unfortunately, the Hawks just couldn't keep that that spark going to move them into the NBA Finals and probably have lost their chance for a while, given that the East will be, you know, restored and be a powerhouse, you know, for a while. Now, I'm not saying the East is better than the West. I still think the West is more stacked, but I definitely think the teams at the top of the East have kind of solidified and you got like those six teams that are just going to be good for a while and the hawks are one of them i think they're young i think they're hungry i think they're well coached i think that they have a major market in being in atlanta and i think they have a lot of good players under contract so they're not they're not hurting anywhere you know and as well they shouldn't having made it to the eastern conference finals and forcing a game six like that was highly competitive basketball like i i could have seen them being in this finals against the Suns, but I think they'll be back next year. I think they'll be high seated. I think they'll be, you know, in a position to go ahead and, and do some some wonderful things and, and Trey's gonna continue to develop. And, you know, I I enjoyed watching this Hawks team as kind of like that Cinderella story, bringing that NCAA type feel to the NBA finals of this team that nobody really believed in. Everybody had marked them off on every single round, and they pushed it very, very deep. Um, but ultimately, the the Bucks role players stepped up in a way that actually solidified, and you know the Bucks were able to push past. And for the Hawks, as long as they maintain like John Collins, like I know, like throughout the course of the year, there was a lot of reports where he wasn't happy or whatever. But I think that'll subside with the success that they've experienced. Um, and through the coaching of, of Nate McMillan, like this team will be back next year and really will be good. 
Um, so I'm buying the Hawk stock. I'll be there. Ba- I bet there'll be there back. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. And I'm excited for Trey Young, dude. Like, I think, you know, last week I talked about draft and value and how the value of certain draft picks gets gets deteriorated as soon as, you know, the draft pick is made. And I think one point that I kind of left out was, you know, once the pick is also made, the value deteriorates a little bit in that other players are picked ahead of them, right? Whether it be for potential, whether it be for fit, whatever the reason, like if you are picked, you know, fifth instead of fourth, well, you're the fifth overall pick forever. You're not the fourth, you're not the third, you're not the second, you're not the first, you're the fifth, right? And for Trey Young, like the expectation had to have been high because in that draft, you had DeAndre Ayton. Oh, guess what? He's in the finals. You had Luka Doncic, who everybody was like, hey, you need to, you know, uh, this guy is going to be the second coming of Jesus or Larry Bird, take your pick. You had Marvin Bagley, who was like, you know, toted very highly, but he shouldn't have went as high as he did. And you had Trey Young. Like, those were the top four picks. There's probably somebody else I'm forgetting in there that, that should have went ahead of him. And the Hawks traded up to go ahead and select Trey Young. And the expectation was that this dude was supposed to be the guy for the Hawks for giving up Luka Doncic. But guess what? In his first playoff appearance, right, because of the team that he was put on and how it was constructed and the fact that they needed to go through a rebuild after dismantling themselves after 2015, has made it farther and went deeper than Luka Doncic, who's had multiple first-round exits, right? So, like, you know, as far as his value goes... He's supposed to be doing this shit, and that's the expectation. But because of the first Rocky two seasons, expectations kind of got reset. But that's what the Hawks were hoping for. That's what they were gambling on when they took this guy, when they traded up to get him, and then they were the laughingstock of the NBA because of Luka Doncic's rookie season. But shout out Trey Young, dude. He believed in himself. He believed in his team. They built around him, and ultimately, he's showing off, hitting the shimmies right and fuck if he's basically a a ref that was a little bit too close away from being in his first finals hats off respect dude hawks are are going to be my nba league pass team for next year if they don't get a ton of primetime games that's for sure that's for sure and uh you know i think that's amazing shout out the hawks you know i'm excited for them so anyway a little bit shorter of an episode today not uh, not too much to talk about with only one series going on. Next week, I think I'll do a little bit on the free agency. Hey, if you have the opportunity, right, the dark days are upon us. And by the dark days, I just mean like conventional men's sports have come to a close, right? You can't watch any more hockey. Tampa Bay went ahead and won the championship, right? Wimbledon is down to an end. Euro championship ends on Sunday. Copa America ends on Sunday, right? Like, for sports you can watch the olympics when it starts but hey give wnba a shot right i said this last year and unfortunately it ran concurrently with the regular nba and uh, i didn't get an opportunity to check the ladies out but i'm gonna give it a real good go this year to pay attention to the ladies and i think 
one of the things that gets missed a lot about the NBA, uh, WNBA, just to do, just to do like two minutes on them real quick, is I think that they get a lot of heat for being low scoring and the fact that they don't dunk necessarily. So I'm with you on the no dunks, right? You're not going to see somebody hit a 360 windmill, like slam dunk competition-esque dunk in the middle of the game. You're just not. And hey, newsflash, you don't see that that often in the NBA either, unless you got, you know, a blowout or just some dude with absolute bounce that gets a breakaway, which is super, super rare. But the the low scoring thing, I got to push back on a, a little bit just because I don't think anybody realizes that these ladies, as far as the amount of minutes they play, they play a college game. They play a college game's amount of scoring and routinely put up 85 to 100 points, right? Which a game where they put up 85 to 100 points in a college game, people love it. But because it's the WNBA, because it's ladies, because it's broken up into quarters, you know, it's low scoring and boring. Man, get that bull out of here. Go watch some WNBA, cheer on the Sparks, the Aces, whatever, right? Likely is, I mean, you're close to one of the 12 teams that play. Pick one, pick your favorite, and go in for them. Why not? What else are you doing right now? You're watching Love Island, watching The Bachelorette or whatever, right? Or you're just enjoying your summer and you're not watching anything at all, and hats off to you then. But if you're aching for sports and you need something and you're like me, check out the WNBA. It won't kill you. And with that... I hope you're enjoying your summer, right? We're, we're, July is in full swing. We are moving and grooving. And uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.